Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Please check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. First Timothy chapter 1, and we'll begin reading in verse 12. And the word of the Lord reads, I thank him who has given me strength, Jesus Christ our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of the Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, As the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. The 18th century theologian John Wesley once wrote, You have one business on earth to save souls. You see, the the beauty of the gospel really is its simplicity. If you will repent of your sin and you will put your faith in Christ and make him the Lord of your life, you will be saved without question. In fact, the Apostle Paul tells us, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It It is that simple. It is that beautiful. The God of the universe has made salvation available to the likes of you and me, a sinner. And if you believe, if you will put your trust in him, you will be saved. But there's something that's beyond the truth that I think that you and I really need to fully understand and embrace. And the truth is, I think that you really need to wrestle with, and I need to wrestle with, is you were not saved for you. Now, that's strange, that might seem strange, but it's the truth. And that's the linchpin of the idea of this entire series that I want to communicate with you today. That the foundational truth that I want to, I want to aim at, you know, to convince you of and have, have you embrace over the next several weeks as we explore what it means to be all in for the mission of Jesus Christ is that, the fact that you were not saved for you. Now, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Because, yes, Jesus loves you. He loves you deeply. And, yes, he wants a relationship with you individually. And, yes, he came into the world in order to walk in your shoes, in order to understand what you were going through, in order to identify with you. And he lived a perfect life that you couldn't live for you. And he died on a cross to pay a sin debt that you couldn't pay for you. And he gave you a righteousness that you couldn't earn on your own, a righteousness that you need to have a relationship with God. He did that for you. Yes, Jesus did all of that for you. And if you actually put your hope and your faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross, all of the benefits, not some of them, all of the benefits of salvation what it means to be saved, belong to you. They are yours. Like justification, which is the idea that you're made right with God. You're in right standing with, with God. God's wrath no longer abides on you. Right? You are no longer someone that God despises as an enemy. You are someone close to him. Right? You are welcome in his presence because you're justified. Also, sanctification. This is where God does not leave you as you are. He comes to to live inside of you and progressively begins to work inside of you, changing you and reshaping you, progressively making you more and more like Jesus and giving you the power over sin and temptation in your life. And then there's reconciliation. Such an important word. that God didn't just forgive you and then like leave you to the side like somebody he really doesn't care about. He reconciled you into a relationship, a personal relationship with himself. And then there's the adoption, which means that you are adopted into the family of God. You become a child of the living God. If there's a, a truth that you can walk out of here holding on to to help anchor your life, 
as you look for hope in this world, is that you walk out of here understanding that you are a child of the living God. You were adopted into his family. And then there's glorification, which is the hope that we all long for. The, the hope that one day we will finally get to stand forever in the presence of God and the presence of things like, like sin and death are no longer even an issue anymore. They will be a thing of the past, a distant memory with no effect on us, and we will forever live with, with joy and peace with God and all of those that we love who died in Christ. Right? That's the hope that we look for, and that's the hope that actually belongs to us. If, for the believer who trusts in Christ, you possess right now all the benefits of salvation. They are yours. They belong to you by faith alone. They are your inheritance. And so, yes, Jesus did all of that for you, but your salvation is not just for you. You weren't just saved for you. If there's a truth that seems to get lost in the American experience of the church, in, in the American Christianity, and in our culture, it's that truth. The truth that we're not saved for ourselves. And man, I'm telling you, for, for, for us, because of the way that we, we grew up, that just sounds weird. Because we were raised to believe, and we've been told by the world around us, that it is all about us. And it's about us. We're Americans. We are individuals. We're autonomous creatures. And, and, and life intrinsically is about us. It's about your feelings. It's about your desires. I mean, just, just look at the world around you. That's the given assumption behind our culture. That's the given assumption of, of the whole idea that you should just do whatever you want to do and make yourself feel good because it's all about you. That's why the world is shaped the way that it is. That's why the marketplace is shaped the way that it is. It's all about appealing to you because it's all about you. Your, your job's all about you. Your, your home is about you. Your car it's about you, your relationships, your hobbies, your spare time. Even all of your money is about you. And so naturally, we just kind of connect the dots and we think that salvation is about us. But it's not. You're not saved for you. Yes, there are benefits to salvation. You benefit greatly from your salvation. Yes, God wants to be a relationship with you individually. He, he knows your name. Like, the God of the universe knows you personally, knows the, the number of the hairs on your head. Now, mine is zero, but for the rest of you, that's a little bit more relevant. Right? He loves you, and he has saved you, but not just for you. And you see, salvation, right, if it was to be about you, and, and if it was for you, then, then, then really then you are, you are the thing that you're living for. Right. But here's the thing, and I want you to, to lean in and hear me on this. As special as you are, and as amazing as you are, created in the image of God, fearfully and wonderfully made, and as precious as you are, and as, 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 as unique as you are, like unlike anyone else, you Hear me, you are too small of a thing for you to live for. And I don't want you to take offense to that, but there is, there is a, a world of truth in that. You are too small of a thing for you to live for. Because you were meant to live for something bigger. Something greater. You were created for something more. You were created to live for something much more. And that something is God. You were created for God and for his glory and for his purposes. That is the truth. You were created for, for God, his glory, and his purposes. That is why you were created, and that's why you were saved you were saved for God because you belong to him. You were his. He created you, and not only after you messed it up, then he went and he saved you. And he, and he, sa and he saved you for, for his glory because everything that God does, he always does for his own glory. God always glorifies himself in everything that he does. And we are also saved for his purposes because God always has a purpose for everything he does, which ultimately means there is purpose. 
plan for you. God has a purpose for you. He brought you into his family for a reason. He brought you into a church family for a purpose. A purpose that's greater than you and your own life, which is what this series is going to be about. It's, it's a series where we're going to explore the plan and the purpose that God has for saving the likes of you and me. Now, I'm going to be right up front with you, and, and I'm going to get to the point and tell you why God saved you, so you don't have to guess too long about it, and what the purpose and the plan is. Because the truth is, this is a part that so many of us Christians, that we're just going to get tripped up over, because we hear that God has a purpose for us, and we have a plan for us, and we tend to smile and get excited and naturally think in terms of ourselves. He does? He's got a plan for me? Right? Is it God's plan for me to buy this house? Is it God's plan for me to buy that car, even though the other one's still not paid off? Is it God's plan for me to, to marry that person? Is it God's plan for me to start that new diet, even though that, like, there's like cupcakes on the, on the counter? Is it God's plan for me to go on that vacation, even though I really don't have enough cash for it, but I can use my credit card? But is it God's plan for me to do that? Is it God's plan for me to win, a lot, win the lottery so I can have all this money to give away? We tend to think always in terms of ourselves. And, and, and believe me, this is not a criticism. It's a criticism of, of right here, right? We tend to think of ourselves in our, in, in our own lives when we hear that God has a plan for me. But, and, and don't misunderstand, Okay? When you, you should always seek God's will for your life in every area of your life. You should always be asking, Lord, what would you have me do? Lord, what would you have me do in my marriage? What would you have me do in my family or my finances or my time off? What would you have me do at work or at school? Everything you do should be done mindful of, of God's will for your life. And, and in fact, we're told you know, by Paul, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. But you also need to understand is not only does, does God have those, a will for you in those areas, right? God has an overarching plan for your life, a plan that really influences everything, you know, a purpose that shapes everything else in your life. And, and, and for some reason, we just miss it as Christians, right? So we just, we just don't see it. And, and because of that, we don't, because we don't see it, we don't, we don't walk in it. We don't live out the plan and the purpose that God has, has redeemed us for. Well, today, my hope is that we're going to change that. My hope is that we can come to a place where we can clearly see, you know, God's purpose for us, and not only see it, but then also embrace it and live in it. So what's the plan? The plan, the overarching purpose for your redeemed life, the reason why God saved you, is so that you can join Jesus on his mission. You were saved to join the mission of Christ. That is the reason. You were saved to be on mission. We were all saved to be all in. Not halfway in, not part of the way in, not most of the way in, all in. Christ's mission he has a mission to accomplish here on the earth. And we were all born into his family to take part in that mission. You see, we're not just beneficiaries of God's plan of redemption. Right? We're not just receivers of God's plan of redemption. We are called to be participants in. We, we have the blessing to be able to participate in it. You're, not, you're, you're called to be involved in God's continuing redemptive activity here on earth because it is continuing. Until Christ comes home, he is continuing his redemptive activity. You're called to be on mission, which is what this series is about. You and I being on mission. And in this series, we're going to answer four basic questions, important questions. Number one is, what is the mission of Christ? What, what is it actually that Christ is doing and wants me to do? Two, why? <laughs> why am I called to, to the mission of Christ? Three is, where is the mission taking place? I mean, is it like in my neighborhood? Or is it like, you know, I have to go to China? I mean, what, what are we talking about? Number four, how do I get involved in the mission of Christ? I mean, what am I actually supposed to do? What does that look like? I mean, I hear people talking about it, but I mean, like, what does that actually add up to? 
And so we're going to talk, take the next few weeks and explore the questions together. And, it, and it's going to take a little time to unpack all of this. And so we're going to answer, so we're going to try to answer these questions. We're not going to get them all answered today. Just right up front, we're not going to get to that all, all today because there's a lot to talk about. What we're going to do is we're going to begin to answer the first question. What is the mission of Christ? What is, what is it that Christ came to accomplish? And, we, and, and the thing is, we can find that mission throughout the Bible, but I think it's really well articulated in this passage of text, 1 Timothy. Right? In fact, look with me at verse 15, where Paul says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That is the clearest mission statement you will ever find. That is the mission of Christ. And I know that we talk a lot about why Jesus came, and we talk about that he came to identify with us, and he came, and those are all relevant and important facts, but, that, but the bottom line, the bottom line reason that Jesus came in the world was to save sinners. He came to rescue sinners. That is his mission. In fact, Jesus himself in his own words in Luke chapter 19 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Who are the lost? They are the sinners. Right? Matthew 18, 11 for the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. The reason why Jesus came to the earth, the reason why Jesus did what he did to live a perfect life, the reason why he went and died on a cross, the reason why he taught all the things he did, the reason why he came to identify with us in our suffering, and the reason why he wept, and the reason why he did all the miracles is because he came to save sinners. That's the overarching purpose of Jesus' redemptive work. That very mission is it. And this is important for us to understand because there's a lot of reasons Jesus didn't come. So Jesus didn't come here to make people rich, despite what you might hear in some circles. That's just not it. He didn't come so that people can live a pain-free, problem-free life here and now. In fact, Jesus said the opposite. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. In the Bible, we're told all the time that, the, that, that Christian life is always equated with suffering. He didn't come here so that people, that, that, that people wouldn't struggle in their lives. He didn't come here so that we'd always be nice to each other. His main purpose in coming here was not to teach us to try to be better to each other, though that it's a byproduct of why Jesus came. It's a benefit of why Jesus came, but it's a means to an end. That's not why he, he came. Jesus didn't come here so that you and I would feel better about, about who we are and, and live lives of affirmation where we never have doubts and we never ever have worries and we never ever have negative thoughts. Right? That's, that's not it because we will struggle. We will have doubts at times. That's what faith is about. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He came to solve the greatest problem that any human being is ever going to have to face. Right? And, and this is the point that so many of us miss, right? But the greatest problem you're ever going to face is the fact that the wrath of a holy and righteous God is always aimed towards his enemies. The greatest problem of, of, of the human race is that it's greater than being broke. And believe me, being broke is bad. I've been there. I think many of us have been there. It's greater than being alone. It's greater than losing all your loved ones. It's, it's greater than, than being rejected. We all know what it's like to be rejected. It's greater than cancer. It's greater than depression. It's greater than, than even death itself. In fact, death might even feel like a welcome but momentary respite compared to the wrath of God. The worst that we can possibly face in this life has nothing compared to the wrath of God. That's the greatest problem every human being has 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 hanging over their head. It is there like a weight hanging over their heads. The truth that one day you and I will die, and regardless of how awesome we are, and regardless of how great and organized we might be, and how great our life turned out to be, and how awesome our kids ended up being, and, and regardless of how people think of us and how we think that we're really good people, we're going to stand before a holy and righteous God who demands a perfect, righteous life without spot or blemish, and we will be found that we have fallen short of that by a wide margin. And we'll be found guilty of sinning against God 
and we will be found guilty of rebellion against him, which is exactly what sin is. It's rebellion against a holy and sovereign God. And God will then justly and rightly give to us what we deserve. An eternity that we were separated from him. An eternity where we do not have his life-giving presence in the darkness of hell. A prospect that is so demoralizing and so heart-wrenching that people don't even want to talk about it anymore. That we don't even want to believe it anymore. That we have to make up new reasons why we want to come to Jesus because we don't want to talk about that one. That's the greatest problem hanging over everyone's head. The fact that they are an enemy of God and time is ticking. But Jesus came to solve that problem. To save sinners. His death on the cross paid the debt of your sin. His perfect life then was credited to you. It's, it's called imputed. It was credited to you and you, your life so that you can then possess that righteousness that you need to stand before God. And the resurrection then proves that Jesus conquered sin and death, and it also proves that Jesus is exactly what he claimed to be, God in the flesh, and that he can do what he promised to do, which was to save you from your sins. Now, I understand. Now, I I want you to realize that I'm not just saying there aren't other gigantic benefits that come as a result of Jesus coming to the earth, because there are amazing, amazing benefits and results because of that. Jesus came to save sinners, and he dealt with our sin problem. And because of that then, by doing that, he made it possible for us then to break free. Break free from the bondage of sin in our lives. That have, you know, we don't have to be controlled anymore by the sin that we have. And because of that, we, because we have that freedom, we can break free of addictions in our lives. We can break free from toxic relationships that hold us down and define our lives and shape us. We can even break free from, from cycles and even generations of bad decisions that haunt us. And through the blood of Christ and the washing of the water of the word, we can experience a renewed life here and now. And because of that, God can restore relationships. He restores families. He restores marriages. He restores friendships. He restores hope to the hopeless. And he can and does bring great joy to our lives here and now as we experience his life-giving presence and love this side of eternity. If you've been a Christian for very long, you know what that presence is like. like. You know what it means to be close and almost feel him touching you. That, that presence, that, that peace that comes, that surpasses all understanding, that is available in this life because of Christ's coming. He can also help us grow in wisdom and make better choices. That's what the book of Proverbs is all about. But what we have to understand is all of those things, as wonderful as they are and as life-giving as they are, they're byproducts of the mission of Christ that he's come to save sinners. And that is the mission that you have been saved for. You were saved to get involved in Christ's redemptive work here on earth. You were, you were brought from death to life so that you can be involved to help other people go from death to life. John Wesley said, you have one business on earth to save souls. You were not saved for just you. You were saved to be on mission saving souls. Now when we come to this point and we begin to understand the truth, many of us dig in our heels and we're going to push back on this. And the reason why I can say that with confidence is because I have so many times in my own Christian walk pushed back on this idea because because the idea of being on mission and and being responsible to to do this and to live this really can almost seem overwhelming, right? Because the first thing that we're going to ask is, well, who am I? Who am I? Of all people in the whole world, who am I to tell people about Jesus? Who am I to try to, to, to save souls? Who am I? You know, I mean, I've been, a, I've been a horrible person in my life. I've done horrible things. In fact, I'm still a mess. I mean, you don't know it, but my, my life's a train wreck, right? I still mess things up, and I'm not always nice to people. Sometimes I'm actually kind of grumpy, and, and, and some things actually kind of 
jump out of my mouth. I don't mean, I mean, I mean to say them. I just, not to say them out loud. Sometimes they, they, they come out loud, and, and maybe I'm even cuss a little bit or a lot, right? So who am I, right? I'm too broken for this. Like, I'm too broken to be effective in sharing the hope of Christ. It's, I'm unworthy, right? That's, that's what we feel. We, we can't be on mission for God because we're unworthy. Well, maybe, maybe you don't feel unworthy. Maybe just like, I can't do that. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not equipped for that at all. That's not why, that's not the way that I'm wired up. I mean, there's no way I'm going to be able to share Jesus with other people. I cannot help save the souls of other people. That is just not me. I mean, you want me to clean floors? I'm here. You know, you want me to paint the trim? I can do that. I mean, you want me to proofread your stuff? Because, Pastor, you really, you misspell lots of stuff. Sometimes the slides are misspelled. Sometimes the bulletin's misspelled. I can help you with that. I can fix that. I can do that. But I can't do the other thing. I can't. I mean, I, I can tithe every week. I can come to all the work weeks, and I can do all that stuff. But I'm not equipped for the whole, like, you know, telling people about Jesus thing. Or maybe you don't feel unworthy or unequipped, but maybe you're just not convinced that this is something that's supposed to be for you. You're like, you know, I I don't think that's what I'm called to. I mean, that's good for you, but that's, you know, I'm gifted somewhere else. I mean, I love my church family, and I love Jesus, but, but my gifts are other things, you know, I got the gift of administration, you know, I got the, I got other kinds of, of gifts, so, so, so I'm not convinced that this is what God's calling me to do, this is not for, for everyone, right, this is, you know, that's, that's for you people who, who want to talk all the time, and so many of us push back against this idea of being called on mission because we either feel unworthy or unequipped or we're unconvinced, well, fortunately for us, you know, the text in Timothy really helps us to see past these objections. In fact, look with me again at the text where Paul says, uh, he says in verse 12, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he has judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent. I want you to notice what Paul is getting at here. God has appointed him to this service. He said he called me to his service. He's called me to do what I'm doing now. I'm called to be on mission, right? Though, right, or better said, even though, despite the fact I, am a, I was a blasphemer, a person who profaned the name of God. That's a serious, serious issue. I was a persecutor. A person who jailed and, and murdered Christians because of their faith in Jesus. He murdered Christians. He persecuted the church. Right? And he was an insolent opponent. Now, the word insolent here is a unique word. It actually means violent. Right? And so Paul is saying, I was, I was a violent opponent of God. And, and as such, I hurt people and I was killing people and then blaspheming his name. But the thing that would, is, is, is God, even despite of all these things, he was still able to use Paul for his mission of redemption. In fact, he even goes on to say, he goes, but I received mercy because I acted uh, ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of the Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners, of whom... I am the foremost, or you can say, of whom I'm the very worst. Now, I want you to, to, to take in that Paul isn't just trying to, you know, like make a point like, oh, I'm the worst kind of sinner. Like, you know, no, he's actually making a bigger point because not only is Paul a sinner, he's making a point to tell us what kind of sinner he is. See, not only was he violent, and not only was he in rebellion to God, he was actually doing all those things as a religious extremist. He was violent and hateful and destructive in the name of God. That is the worst kind of blasphemy. When you do evil, not just in your own name, but in the name of God, that is horrific blasphemy. In fact, in Exodus chapter 20, you will find the the Ten Commandments. And verse 7, you will find the fourth commandment. 
And the fourth commandment says this, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, when people read this, they, they, they understand, the common understanding of this text means, I should not speak God's name in an inappropriate way. That's the overarching common understanding of the text. You shouldn't use God's name as a cuss word. So when people say, say those two words together, right? Can't bring myself to even get close to that, you know? <laughs> Lightning bolts, you know. When, when you use those words together, you know, that's a, that, that, you know, that you shouldn't do that, right? Or, or that you shouldn't use God's name in a cavalier way. You shouldn't just use it as like, a, like an expression, like a frustration, like, you know, God. You know. Or, you know how people use Jesus, or they say Jesus Christ, or they say some middle name of Jesus too, you know, sometimes, you know. Um, and, and, and so that's the understanding, is that, that, that you shouldn't use God's name as a cuss word. You shouldn't use the name cavalierly or disrespectfully. And, and believe me, I want you to understand, like right here and now, you shouldn't use, them, use God's name inappropriately. You shouldn't use it as a cuss word. You shouldn't be disrespectful. But that is not what this text means. I want you to hear me on this. This is not what the text means. You see, the word for take here in the Hebrew is a very, is, is a very clear and specific word. It is nasah, right? And this word actually means to, to lift physically, to pick it up, okay? It means to, to bear it means to carry. And the idea of this commandment is that you do not bear, you do not carry the Lord's name in vain. You're not to advance as you go the name of the Lord in a vain or blasphemous manner. Or in other words, the more specific idea is you better not be doing evil things in the name of God. That's the real serious charge. That's why this particular commandment has such a strong warning. Because it says, you shall not take the name of the Lord, your God, in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Okay, think about this. Like, if, if God was going to like really severely punish people for that, there'd be a lot of people dead right now for just the, the bad, you know, the... the it, disrespectful way that they use his name. The reason why it has such a serious penalty because it's a serious charge. You were not to take God's name and do evil things with it. And that right there was the kind of sinner Paul was. He was not just a sinner. Not only did he do evil things, not only did he do horrific things, right? He took and did those things in the name of God. He thought he was doing a service to God for that. Now, I don't know everything there is to know about all of you. I know some of you better than others. I didn't know a lot about some of you. But I don't know all there is to know about you. But there's one thing that I'm convinced of. You have not persecuted and murdered other Christian people for their faith all in the name of God. I would hope, right? Okay. I mean, that's the truth. I mean, you know, of, of all the horrific things you've done in your life, you didn't do that, right? I mean, I mean and you've done some bad stuff. Let's just let's be honest. You've lied. Right? You cheated on something. Maybe Scrabble. You've thought lustful thoughts of someone who was not your spouse. You have, some of you might have even committed adultery at some point in your life. Some of you might have even lived lives of drunkenness. Some of you might have even hurt deeply people that, that, that you care about. Some of you might have even betrayed those that are closest to you. Most of us, if not all of us, have probably gossiped at least a dozen times. And, and all of you, at some point, have turned your back on God. Right? But none of you, none of you have done the things that Paul has done. And, and the point that he's making is that if he can be used by God... Anyone can be used by God, including you. Which helps us to understand the truth. There is not one person that who is so broken and so sinful that God cannot use them. No one is so broken and so sinful that God cannot use them. God can use the very worst of us for his mission. 
If, Paul, if God can use Paul, he can certainly use you. Even if you feel unworthy. And because the truth is you are unworthy. We are all unworthy. None of us are worthy of being on this mission. But that's the beauty. God uses broken vessels. He uses imperfect people to pour out life-giving truth to a broken world. That's part of his mission. Why does he use broken vessels? Because everybody else is a broken vessel. We can relate to each other. And so God does not leave you unworthy. And he also doesn't leave you unequipped either. Look at look what Paul says in verse 12. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he has judged me faithful, appointing me to the service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an ins- and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul absolutely was unworthy of Christ and his mission, but Jesus changed him and rescued him from his sin. And Paul was certainly unequipped, but God strengthened him and he appointed him and he gave him mercy and the grace and the faith and even the love that he was going to need to do all that God called him to do. You see, the thing that we need to understand is we do not bring to the table the things that we're going to need in order to serve God the way that he calls us to serve him. We don't bring to the table the things that we're going to need to serve God the way that he calls us to to serve him. You and I don't have it. We don't have it in us. It doesn't start within us. But Christ, when he comes into your life, he is the one who gives you the strength. In my weakness, he is strong. Christ is the one who who gave you the appointment. He's the one that gives you the calling. Christ is the one who provides the mercy, the overwhelming, endless mercy and grace that you're going to need and the faith that you're going to need and certainly all the love that you're going to need to be able to be on mission because you're going to need a lot of love because we're talking about people. And that well of your own love can run out really, really fast. You're going to need overwhelming amounts of God's love pouring into your life, and he will provide those for you to be on mission for him. You see, the truth is this. God does not call the equipped. He equips those he calls. The truth is God is not going to call you to a mission without equipping you to do that mission. Which means whether you believe it or not, or whether you want to accept it or not, whether you like it or not, God has called you and he's also equipped you to be on mission to save souls. It doesn't matter how shy you are. It doesn't matter how uneducated you might be. It doesn't matter how inarticulate you might feel. God has equipped you uniquely and will continue to equip you so that you can do your part and be on mission for Christ. You just need to be all in. You and I need to stop making excuses and stop telling ourselves that we can't do this. We need to say two words. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Why not you say that with me? Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I'll do that. Yes, Lord, I will sell out and do my parts to be in the, in the, on mission for your redemptive work. Yes, Lord, I will be all in. Yes, Lord, I just need to commit all the way because God will equip you. He will equip you to, to, for what he calls you to do. Now, maybe you're just still unconvinced. You're like, okay, nice try, but I don't believe that. Maybe, maybe you know, a soul-saving mission is, is only for a select few, you know, like pastors and evangelists, you know, and those and, and those wonderful sweet ladies who like to talk to everyone. Right? Maybe that's, well, let me draw your attention to, to one more thing that Paul says. He says, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost, but, and I want you to really pay close attention here, but I received mercy for this reason. I love Paul because he's really, really clear. I received mercy. I was saved. I was brought into God's grace and his love for this reason. That in me, as the foremost, the worst kind of sinner, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. 
So what Paul is saying is that he was given mercy by God for a reason. And that reason was not simply to redeem Paul. And that reason was not simply to make Paul into a good guy instead of someone who was, who was beating up and killing Christians. The reason was to demonstrate for all the world around him and all the people that he would come in contact with that through Paul, that there is a God and he is alive and he is on mission to save the souls of others, even the worst ones. Paul's transformed life became a vivid example to everyone who would believe in Jesus through Paul's part in the Christian mission. You were saved for a reason. You were redeemed for a purpose. And that purpose is that through you individually and your transformed life, God can shine through. And that through your transformed life, God and his power can be seen in the world around you. That is why Jesus himself says, you are the light of the world. Okay? It's a huge title. That's a huge responsibility. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You were not saved to sit quietly in the dark, singing, Jesus loves me, this I know. You were not saved to sit quietly on your own, hidden from you, from the rest of the world, you know, praying little prayers, maybe quietly reading your Bible. God saved you to be in the light. He saved you to be the light. He saved you that through you, he will shine his light for all of the world around you to see. You were saved graciously by the creator of the universe through the atoning sacrificial death of Christ on the cross because he loves you. He loves you desperately. And because through you, he can touch and change and reach the people in your life and all that you come in contact with. God wants to pour out his grace and mercy for the world through you. This is a privilege. Not only were you saved, but that he invites you to be a part of that. That, that you then become the instrument of God's grace and mercy and love for a world. You were saved for something greater than your own life. You were saved for something more than your own happiness. You were saved for something bigger and more important than all of, all of your personal ambitions combined. You were saved to be on mission for Jesus. And the question that you need to ask yourself is a simple one. Are you all in? Are you sold out? Will you say, yes, Lord? Will you do what God calls you to do? Will you go where he calls you to go? That is the question that you need to answer. Are you all in or are you not all in? Now, if you are, then praise the Lord. And I'm excited to be on this journey with you because we as a church are going to be on mission for Christ together. And we have a lot to do, right? And we're going to, we're going to learn a lot more about that in the weeks to come. But, but if you're not all in, then I want to ask you to, to examine your heart and ask yourself, why? And, and I know that you're busy. You got kids to take care of. You got bills to pay. You know, there, there's, there's all kinds of extracurricular activities in your life. You know, then you have social life, and then you have social media, you have all these other things. All right, but I, I'm going to ask you to, if you're not, to, to get alone and reflect. Maybe get a journal out and ask the question, why? Why am I not all in for this? And then, and then take some time and get alone with God and ask him to open your heart and reveal it to you and help him maybe to change your heart and your mind and really like spend time alone with God. This is, this is where real life happens is when you finally get alone with God and wrestle with the deep, important questions of your own life. Get alone with him. And then 
And understand, like, I, don't, I don't have the answers for you today because I'm not you, right? I hope maybe I've helped you to see that it's not about being unworthy or, or being unequipped, and hopefully I've convinced you that this is actually supposed to be part of your life, right? But ask yourself why, and then what I want you to do is then bring those thoughts and bring those, those, those questions and those insights and, and maybe even those doubts and maybe even like those those like, hey, pastor, I don't even think that you're right on this. Bring that and then come back here for the next few weeks as we continue together to explore you know, what God has to say for us and what it means for us to be on mission for, for Christ. Now, be, before I close, I just want to extend an invitation today. And so if you guys can just bow your heads and, and let's just you know, close our eyes. Because um, maybe... Maybe you're you're like, you know, I don't have any idea about what you mean about being on mission for Christ because I don't even really know who Jesus is. Maybe you're just at that place where maybe like you've, you know, have never really like come to the place and made him the Lord of your life. Maybe you've never really kind of actually received him as your own personal savior. Maybe you've never really like understood, you know, that you need to repent and trust him and not yourself. If, If that is you today, and you are ready to actually put your hope in Christ and walk in the freedom that he has for you to walk and live in the light rather than the darkness that you've been living in. If that's you today, will you raise your hand? And if... Praise the Lord for that. And if you're someone who maybe is a Christian, maybe I've, maybe I've said yes to, Lord, to the Lord, but it's just really never been more than like you know half halfway following him i do feel conviction for my sin i do know i need to change but i i have not come to that place where i'm ready to really kind of sell out you know and let jesus be the the center of my life if, if that's you and you're ready to actually come to that place where you're ready to sell out and let jesus be be your identity not just a, a hyphen to, to who you are but the identity that you are a christian parent that you are a christian community member that you are a christian you know spouse that you are a christian employee that you are a christian grandparent that, that, that christianity defines every other thing else in your life that's what you're looking for and you're ready to be that but you raise your hand Praise the Lord. And then finally, if you're someone who has sold out, I'm like, I love Jesus. I read my word. I'm excited about what God's doing, but I'm just scared. I'm timid. Like, like my, my hands get all sweaty when I think about talking to people about Jesus. Like, I, get, I, get, I feel panic attacks. I begin to, like, really just worry. If you're that, but you really want to become bold in your faith and you really want to walk where God is calling you to be and be on mission and, and really active in the redemptive work of Christ, if that's who you are, will you raise your hand also? Praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord for that. So what I'm going to do for you all is I'm going to invite you to continue to come back here because we're going to talk a lot about this, but I'm going to pray for you now specifically. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your oh, overwhelming grace and mercy. Father, I'm moved by your unfailing love. That, Father, that you would even, like, think to rescue the likes of us. Forget everything else. That you have decided to love the unlovable. That you have decided to redeem the unredeemable. That you have decided to love us in spite of us. By your grace. Of all the things in the world that I understand... And of all the things that people call mysteries like the incarnation and the trinity, those things, Lord, of all those things that are hard to wrap your head around, the thing that troubles me the most, the thing that I cannot fathom the most is why in the world you would love someone like me. But Father, I rejoice in the fact that you do. I take you your word that you do. And I rejoice in that. And then on top of that, not only that you invite us into the redemptive activity to be able to go out and spread hope to be able to go out and spread the, the, the life-giving healing that Jesus has, to be able to go out and minister to people's lives and, and love them in a way with a radical love that doesn't even come from us, Lord, for us to be able to go out into the world and, and actually change things. Father, we thank you for that. And I pray, Father, that you then, Lord God, would meet everyone where they need to be met. If someone here has not put their faith in you and they're ready to, Lord, help them, Father, to, to acknowledge that they're a sinner and accept the fact they can't fix it on their own. 
and help them to see that they need Jesus and then help them to receive Jesus, that they would then turn from their sin and put their faith wholly and and completely on Jesus Christ and the finished work of the cross, and they would rest in that, that they're not saved by their activities, they're not saved by what they do, they are saved by their faith alone in Christ alone. Hallelujah. And I pray, Father, you'd send the Holy Spirit in their hearts to convict them of that and that they would then walk in that the rest of their lives. And I pray for those, Lord, who have not really bought into discipleship and have not fully bought into the Christian life, but, but now are beginning to wake up to, the, to what they need in you, Lord God. And I pray, Father God, that you would stir their hearts with a deep affection for your word, that you would give them a thirst that's overflowing, Lord God, that they would have a deep desire of all things of you and that they would be passionate about your word and that they would be passionate about fellowship and they would be plugged in, Lord God, and they would live wholeheartedly for you, that you would give them the strength for that, you would empower them for that, and Father, you'd guide them through that, Lord, and they would bear fruit in their lives. And then for those of us who who struggle to share our hope with other people and to, to be on mission that way, Father, bolden us, Lord God. Give us strength. Make us unafraid. Make us unintimidated. Make us, Lord God, you know, bold witnesses going out into the world, sharing the greatest gift that can be possibly given, the gift of Jesus Christ. And I pray, Father, that you would do all those things for your glory and all our good. I pray your blessing over everyone here. I pray that you'd meet all of their needs. I pray, Father God, that you would help to touch their lives where they need to be touched today. And I pray, Father, you'd raise up a people in this church who are passionate for your name. And we are begging you, Lord God, to create revival in this community. We thank you for that. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead, a production of First Baptist Church in Boron, California. Our website address is fbcboron.org. And would you please consider partnering with us financially as we work to share the hope and the gospel of Jesus Christ with our community and our world.